Chapter 33 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 33, Hakon the Good. By raising Hakon to the throne, and by hailing him as successor of King Harald, the people of Norway had expressed in a formal way their approval of the work done by Harald Horfagra. In their consciousness, Norway was now a united country, but the system of succession adopted could not safeguard the future stability of the kingdom. It had already led to fratricidal strife, and gave promise of weakness and disintegration. The first revolution had been accomplished without violence and bloodshed. The people gave their united support to the popular Hakon, and the struggle was over, but at any future moment similar revolutions might occur for no weightier reason than personal rivalry among the claimants to the throne. King Hakon was a man of many excellent qualities. The sagas describe him as tall, strong, and flaxen-haired. He was of a milder temper than his father, but resembled him strikingly in physical appearance. He was well skilled in the use of arms, but the people knew him as gentle, wise, and peace-loving. At the court of King Ethelstan, he had been reared in the Christian faith, and had acquired a culture which, no doubt, tended to soften the martial Viking spirit and to incline his heart and mind to the pursuits of peace. His promise to the people to restore to them their right of Odal, in other words, to redress their grievances, and grant what they considered to be their just demands, was an acknowledgment on his part that henceforth the king was not to rule as a conqueror, but according to the will of the people and the laws of the land. It appears that the king was no longer to tax the people arbitrarily, according to his own pleasure, but that taxation should be regulated by the things. He exercised his kingly power with great moderation. In the beginning of his reign, Jarl Sigurd of Lade ruled in Trendelagen with almost sovereign power, and the Filkis kings in Oplanen enjoyed a high degree of autonomy. Over the Norwegian dependencies in the west, he exercised little control. His personal rule was largely limited to the southwestern districts of Norway, Vestlande. The most abiding result of his reign was his work as lawgiver and his effort to organize the military forces of the country into a strong national army. He surrounded himself with a body of advisers, a sort of council of wise men, to which Sigurd Jarl and Thorleif Spaker belonged. Such changes were made in the Lagthings, Frostething, Gulething, and Eidsivething, that they became, in a measure, representative bodies. Each Filka was henceforth to send a certain number of men to the thing, Nefendarmen, who were to receive a fixed salary. The danger which always threatened the kingdom from the sons of Eric Bloodaxe, who had taken refuge with their grandfather, King Gorm, in Denmark, and who now watched for an opportunity to attack Norway to regain their father's thrones, made it necessary for Hawken to pay special attention to the development of both army and navy. He divided the Filker along the coast into Schiebreder, or naval districts, and made regulations in regard to the size and number of the warships to be built and equipped by each district. The Nefkirli, a personal tax levied by Harald Horfagra, was made a ship money tax by Hawken for this purpose. The whole armament, consisting of ships, warriors, weapons, and provisions, was called Leding, Old Norse Leidanger. The full number of ships and warriors in each district was called Almening. In time of war, it was the duty of the people in these districts to meet in full Almening, while for military service in time of peace they were required to furnish half Almening, together with the necessary equipment and provisions. Every freeman capable of doing military service should own shield, spear, and battle axe. The military burdens of the coast districts took the place of the Nefgilli, or ship money tax, in this part of the country, but in the inland districts, where there was less military service, this tax was maintained. It is quite evident that the lading system had existed before King Hawkins' time, 
but he gave it a better organization and extended it to all districts along the coast. He also organized a system of war signals. Fires, called Vardar, should be lighted on the mountaintops when an enemy was approaching the coast. In seven days the warning could, in this way, be given to all parts of the country, and the Almening could be held ready everywhere. The people of Jemtland had also heard of King Haakon's benign rule. This large district, lying on the border between Norway and Sweden, had first been settled by people from Trindelagen. In Harald Horfager's time, many had sought refuge there, and the population was rapidly increasing. King Haakon sought to gain the goodwill of the leading men in Jemtland. They came to visit him, says Snorra, promised him obedience, brought him presents, and became his men. They had heard good reports about him, and would rather be subject to him than to the king of Sweden, because they were Norsemen, but he established law and justice among them. The foundation was thus laid for the final absorption of the district, but it did not become an integral part of the kingdom of Norway till the time of Eystein Magnusson and Sigurd the Crusader. King Haakon made an unsuccessful attempt to introduce Christianity in Norway. Centuries of intercourse with the Christian nations in Great Britain and elsewhere had wrought a change in the religious views of many people, even at home. Many had ceased to worship the old gods and had substituted a sort of new faith in a higher god, the Allfader, or creator of all things. Some were indifferent and believed in nothing but their own strength and prowess, while the majority, especially of the common people, still clung to the old worship. But the old religion was not only a matter of faith, it was closely bound up with the political and social life. The herser, or local chieftains, were priests in the Firkeshov, and much of their influence and power depended on their priestly office. A change of religion would bring with it far-reaching alterations in the whole social structure, and it is not surprising that a suggestion of this kind should meet with the most determined resistance. It is said that Haakon brought priests from England and built churches in Romsdal and Nordmer. But when he finally proposed at the Frosta thing that the people should accept Christianity, it caused a storm of indignation. Sigurd Jarl gave him no support, and Asbjorn and Medelhus, who made himself the spokesman of the people, threatened that they would all rise against him if he urged the point. He had to join in the sacrifice to the gods and felt compelled to give up the plan. To carry it through by force was impossible, for he soon needed the support of his people to repel the attacks of the sons of Eric Bloodaxe. In 955, the brothers Gamla, Harald, Ragnfrid, Gudrud, and Sigurd Sleva led an expedition against Norway, but Haakon defeated them in a battle near the island of Frey in Nordmer. Gamla fell, and the other brothers returned to Denmark, but they continued to harry the southern coasts. In 961, they renewed the attack. With a large fleet, they landed at Fitje, on the island of Stord, where King Haakon was staying. A bloody battle was fought, in which the sons of Eric were again defeated, but King Haakon, who fought valiantly in the midst of the fray, was wounded in the arm by an arrow, and died shortly after the battle. He had no sons to whom he could leave the throne, and the story is told that when he felt death approaching, he sent messengers to his fleeing nephews, and invited them to return and take the kingdom. He regretted much, says the saga, that he had been compelled to depart from the Christian faith. His men offered to bring his body to England and give it a Christian burial, but he answered, I am not worthy of it. As a heathen I have lived, and as a heathen you must bury me. The wounded king was brought to his birthplace, Hockenshella, where he died at the age of forty-six after a reign of twenty-six years. His friend and comrade-in-arms, the great skald Ivan Skaldespieler, composed a great song to his memory, the Hockenormal in which he says, Freed from his fetters against the world, the wolf Fenrir shall come, before such another king shall follow in his footsteps. Friends die, cattle perish, desolated is the land. Since Hawken went to heathen gods, people live in serfdom and bondage.
End of chapter 33.